Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Natural Running Network. We are brought to you by MedHab, makers of RPM Squared, an innovative system of gait analysis that slips right into your running shoes. My name is Richard Diaz. I am your host. Are you a runner? Do you love to get out and challenge yourself? Running your first marathon or maybe caught the bug of obstacle racing? Well, sit tight because this is a show you just don't want to miss. I am with Dr. John Ivey. He is... Professor Emeritus from the Department of uh, Kinesiology and Health Education at the University of Texas, and uh, very pleased to finally get him on the show. Say hello to our audience, John. Yeah, hi, Richard. Hi, audience. Uh, it's really a pleasure to be on. I'm looking forward to the interview. Well, I'll tell you what. It's As I suggested to you, I've, I've been very excited about having a chance to get you on the show. Um, as I had mentioned to you in previous communications, I have done a few interviews with Dr. Portman, and I know that you guys got together on this book, Hardwired for Fitness. First of all, I think that was a fascinating read. Uh, thank you. So it, it dovetails very nicely into the things that I want to talk about with you. Predominantly what I'm interested in is learning more about this fascinating new uh, supplement being the Beat Elite that you guys are manufacturing and producing? Uh, yes. Uh, yeah, Beat Elite is produced by a company called Neogenis, who I consult for here in Austin, Texas. And uh, it's a, a unique product in that uh, it's made from beet crystals, and it's an all-natural product, uh, and it boosts nitric oxide levels in the body. And, of course, boosting nitric oxide has uh, big benefits from the standpoint of exercise performance and uh, also health, many health benefits. But uh, the, the unique thing about Beat Elite is that uh, it uh, contains, a packet contains about 10 grams of uh, this beet crystal, but the way the beet crystals are formed and all, they work much faster than just taking in uh, normal products that have high amounts of nitrate, such as what beet elite does. So if you're consuming uh, beet juice or many of the other products that are on the market, it takes two and a half hours to three hours to actually uh, have some benefit to improving performance, whereas if you take beet elite, it works within uh, 30 minutes. So you can take this uh, about 20 to 30 minutes prior to exercise and then get the benefits of elevated nitric oxide during your workouts or competition. I have a lot of friends that are actually, I, I want to say addicted to the product, and they're, they're really after it. As a matter of fact, I'll share with you that, as I might have mentioned to you before, that I, I, I've been coaching Hunter McIntyre. Right. And... Hunter shows up to see me the other day, and he busts out a pack of this beet elite and just pours it down his neck dry and chases it down with a bottle of water, which just scared me to death. <laughs> because, uh, I, I mean, the first the first few times that I tried the product, uh, it, it took me back a little bit. I was, I was like, ah, man, this is kind of nasty. But now I've I found... Uh, that it's it's really not that bad. I mean, I, I think it has a lot to do with the way you you set yourself up for it. Like I, I've tried it this morning, and I've been I've been trying to push myself into a regimen to you know, just kind of get a better sense of you know what it can do for me because I need all the help I can get. Incidentally, yeah. Well, don't we all? <laughs> yeah. But uh, uh, I just noticed that like if I put it in a water bottle and put in about I don't know two. Uh, two ounces of water and just shook it up real aggressively and drank it. It, it, it almost tastes really good. Yeah, well, it's actually designed for about four to six ounces of fluid, and you want to do then take it as as fast as possible. You want to take it as a shot. Uh, but it also, you know, I don't know if Hunter told you, but it comes in uh, two flavors. So you have the regular beet flavor, and then it comes in a black cherry flavor. And uh, we found that... Uh, Many athletes uh, 
like the uh, the black flavor uh, flavor better than the uh, beet flavor. Uh, personally, I like the black cherry better as well. And uh, so you do have some options there, but you might want to try uh, mixing it with four to six ounces rather than just two ounces and taking it. And, and Hunter is unusual in the fact that he just takes it in like uh, a bag of Kool-Aid or something and chases it with... Yeah, <laughs> I don't know how he does water. it. Or, but you can, yeah, I mean, as long as you get it in, um, you know, as a shot, basically, it works quite well. We have, uh, you know, many NFL, NBA, uh, HL, uh, National Hockey League uh, teams uh, taking the products. So we have uh, Division One college football teams uh, taking it, Ohio State, Alabama, Auburn, and so forth. So, uh, you know, the product is, uh, you know, out there, and uh, many, many really fine athletes are taking the product. I was introduced to the product first, I want to say, almost two years ago. I did an interview with Gilbert Tuobunye. Oh, yeah. You know Gilbert? Yeah, I know who he is. Yeah, anyway, uh, the person that represents him, Allison, her last name escapes me now, but she introduced me to it and sent me this book, which I have sitting here on my desk, uh, it's called Beat the Odds, Harness the Power of Beats to Radically Transform Your Health. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I was fascinated by the history of the value of basically red vegetables. You know, historically how they were regarded as being so powerful as an antioxidant and a benefit, you know, to the body. That's right. Yeah, yeah in, in those vegetables, you not only do you have high amounts of nitrate, which are converted into nitric oxide in the body, but you have, you know, uh, many uh, flavonoids and uh, uh, polyphenols and so forth that have many other health benefits as well and protect the, or activate the immune system, uh, also act as uh, uh, antioxidants and so forth. And so uh, the, the red vegetables are quite beneficial. So the idea being is that in this concentrated form, you're just. I read that it's like by taking a shot of this beetle, it's like getting six beets. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah, uh, our equivalent of about 800 to 1,000 milliliters of beet juice. Wow, wow, that's a lot. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's it's uh, it's it's uh, very uh, concentrated uh, beet powder and. Uh, like I said, uh, it works uh, really quite well. We we have some, we haven't published it yet, but we have some just astounding data coming out on the metabolic effects that it has during uh, cycling and cycling time trials and so forth, and and also some work on uh, recovery after high sets of, of uh, resistance exercise. I'd be really curious to see that. Yeah. Okay. So. Um... <laughs> well, we- we hope to get that out sometime soon. <laughs> <laughs> Aside from the, the nitric oxide benefits, I read here that there's also some natural occurring tryptophan in, in the product. Uh, yeah, yeah, there is some in it, but I, I don't know, uh, honestly, you know, if it, there's enough to have, uh, you know, any major effect or not. The major benefits of Beta Elite is the nitrate and the uh, boosting of nitric oxide, uh, but again, it, within beets you have a number of of other uh, ingredients that are going to have you know health benefits. You know, the betalins, the, the other flavonoids, and so forth that are going to be beneficial, as well as some amino acids. Taking someone that maybe is not athletic, but is interested in improving their health and potentially even trying to encourage detoxification let's cut to the chase a guy that drinks too often and is feeling like yeah i need to put a little something back is there any value in using the the beet product in order to offer some benefit to the liver and kidneys and things like this yeah there are you know again uh, this is not now that's not not necessarily due to the nitric oxide producing effects of the the beet elite but there are other uh ingredients within the beets that help with detoxification like uh, betalins and uh, benin and so forth that uh, have detoxifying uh, capabilities for the liver and actually are good for liver health. 
so, yeah, somebody that's uh, been drinking uh, too often and too much, uh, you know, and they need some detoxifying, uh, getting on something like uh, Beta Leap uh, could actually be beneficial. It's not going to work overnight, so you'd have to be on it for uh, several days, but it does have a detoxifying effect. What would be a dosage? I mean, I would, I, I couldn't find anywhere what would be a recommended dosage other than saying that, you know, 30 minutes before a workout would be the time to take it. So if you were trying to detox a little bit, would it be harmful to, to take the product a couple times a day? Uh, no, actually it wouldn't. I mean, uh, if I was going to do something like this and do it over time, and, and I, I think that somebody wanted to detox uh, should try and do some working out as well yeah. as take this. But, you know, taking it before a workout and then maybe taking it uh, later on in the afternoon or at night, uh, you know, two packs a day is, is safe. There's no problem with doing that. And in fact, we have uh, with uh, some very uh, competitive athletes who are doing long endurance type work, or triathlons or, or the Olympic uh, link triathlons and so forth, uh, <clears throat> even which are a little shorter than say, um, you know, the very long ones uh, such as Ironman. But what we do is we suggest that they take a pack of the elite uh, uh, about two hours prior to and then about 30 minutes prior to so you know this is um, you know this is completely safe to do that and uh, this may have some beneficial effect on detoxifying if they were to take it in the morning and at night you know at least for a week or two okay so I want to talk about this nutrient timing because I think that that's essentially what we're talking about on, on a broader stroke so you had co-authored this book with Dr. Portman, Hardwired for Fitness, and it's essentially how, when, why we should be taking on calories. Because I, there's a lot of fascination with, as you, I'm sure you're fully aware, with nutrition in regard to performance. And there's so much that's been done lately where you know, athletes are trying to play with this fat adaptive approach to eating uh, where they're cutting their carbs out and a lot of foolishness, quite frankly, in my mind, where they're messing with their diets. And when I first read this book and it started talking about the importance of the timing in which we take on calories and how much more important that is relative to the type of things that we actually consume, I think it's worth talking about, and I can't imagine anybody better to talk about it with than you. So can you kind of shed some light on uh, this whole nutrient timing thing? Yeah, well, we, uh, Robert Portman and I actually wrote two books. One was called Nutrient Timing, and then the <clears throat> follow-up was Hardwired for Fitness. And um, basically, um, you know, the... Uh, essence of nutrient timing is taking in the appropriate nutrients at the time where they're most effect can be at the time in which they can be most effectively used and uh, there from an athletic standpoint there are three basic phases of nutrient timing you have the energy phase which is before exercise and during exercise and so what nutrients do you want to take in during that time and at and where and um, how you time that nutrient intake depending on the type of exercise to get the most out of those nutrients and then immediately post exercise uh, you want to take in certain nutrients that stimulate uh, the anabolic uh, metabolism of the body so during that particular time you want to be stimulating uh, tissue repair, you want to be stimulating tissue development, you want to rep be replenishing uh, the fuel stores within the muscles and, the, and within the body, such as liver glycogen and so forth. <laughs> so uh, that's a, an extremely important phase because what happens there really dictates what happens over the next 24 hours before the next workout. So then after the uh, 
the anabolic phase you have what I call the adaptation phase and so this is uh, the anabolic phase represents post-exercise for and up to about two hours post-exercise and then after that is the adaptation phase and again if you take in the appropriate nutrients at the right times you can continue to have a high rate of of anabolic metabolism and so you can continue to uh, increase uh, energy storage, tissue repair and tissue growth and when you talk about training adaptation you know we're training to bring about a training adaptation. If you're doing resistance training, you're trying to increase muscle mass and strength. If you're doing aerobic training, you're trying to increase uh, in cardiovascular endurance and muscle endurance. And uh, for muscle endurance, you want to increase mitochondria. Uh, for cardiovascular endurance, you want to increase uh, blood volume and red blood cell mass. Uh, for strength training, uh, resistance exercise, you want to increase muscle mass. Uh, these is, this is protein synthesis. This is ana, uh, anabolic metabolism. So if you can stimulate protein synthesis faster post-exercise, you stimulate a faster training adaptation. And so taking in the appropriate nutrients at the right time can do that. And so we find that training adaptation is enhanced. And then you can keep that process going, uh, protein synthesis and tissue repair and so forth, if you do the appropriate, take in appropriate nutrients at the right time during the adaptation phase as well. In, in essence, what I, what I gathered from this is it's all tied to the circadian rhythm, right? So the, yes. the times so, of the day where the body's most receptive to carbohydrate versus protein, is that pretty much it? Well, that's part of it. So it, there's two two phases. So you have the exercise part of it, where what you want to do around the exercise, but then you have the general overall circadian rhythm and daily nutrient intake that you need and what you need to do at those times. So if you look at what the body's like when we first get up in the morning, it's completely different than what it's like, uh, say, at supper time, you know, from a standpoint of the, the hormones and energy level and so forth. And so at particular times, you want to have certain macronutrients in the diet. So in the morning when you wake up, you have high cortisol levels, insulin levels are low, blood glucose levels are low. Uh, you're in a, um, you know, a fasted state. This is a more of a catabolic state. So the hormone levels are set up to break down tissue in the body to produce gluconeogenic uh, precursors uh, that are amino acids, lactate, and so forth that go to the liver to convert into glucose so that you maintain blood glucose levels because you haven't eaten in, you know, 12 hours or so. So what you want to do in the morning, what the body really needs is carbohydrate because you want to get the carbohydrate in. This will lower the cortisol levels, so it'll raise insulin levels, so it'll raise blood glucose levels and convert the body from this catabolic state that we're in during the night into a more anabolic state. So uh, breakfast in the morning is extremely important uh, because if you don't eat breakfast, you stay in this catabolic state until you do eat some nutrients. So you have tissue breakdown going on to support blood glucose levels until you take nutrients in. And the nutrients that you want to take in is, uh, is a high amount of carbohydrate in the morning, again, to get blood glucose back up, to refill the liver with uh, glycogen, of, you know, the form in which glucose is stored in the liver. And you want to get cortisol levels down. By the way, if you if you don't eat breakfast in the morning, you have a much greater chance of being obese, for example, than you do if you eat regular breakfasts. And a lot of people think, well, I don't eat breakfast, so I've reduced my calories. But it's one of the worst things they can do if they want to control their body weight because elevated cortisol levels for long periods of time, day after day, cause uh, fat development around the abdominal area. So you get abdominal obesity. Um, and and you also alter your metabolic rate, you know, resting metabolic rate, which declines. So, so uh, eating breakfast is extremely important, and you want that to be a high-carbohydrate-type meal. Um, 
it was some protein and obviously some fat, but uh, mainly mainly carbohydrates. So the breakfast should be 60, 65% carbohydrate, we believe. Then when you go to lunch, uh, what, what you have is, you know, you're in the day, you're physically active during this period of time, and there again, you know, carbohydrate is a major fuel source. So you still want to have a sufficient amount of carbohydrate. So maybe 55, 60% of the diet at lunchtime should be carbohydrate. Uh, and maybe about 20% protein and, and 30% fat. Uh, at supper time, things start changing though. One of the things that happens uh, in the early evening, for whatever reason we don't know, but uh, appetite goes up and people tend to overeat. One, one of the reasons that people are obese is because the additional the calories they eat actually after supper. So between supper and going to bed, people do an awful lot of snacking and take in additional calories that they don't need. So what you want supper to be is something that's very satiating, something that's gonna satisfy you for a long period of time and keep appetite down. And what does that is a high protein fat type of meal. So here, you don't need much carbohydrate at this time. You're not worried about, uh, you know, being overly physically active during this time and needing a lot of carbohydrate. But what you do need at this time is a high amount of protein and fat. So that should be, those should be elevated in the diet, less carbohydrate. And this is more satiating. This will prevent you from being hungry from time in the morning till, I mean, from uh, supper time till going to bed. The other thing that is important is that by getting in a high amount of protein at supper time, uh, you take advantage of the uh, uh, late evening hours in which growth hormone starts to elevate. And this is a growing period or a repair period. Uh, for the body. So during this period of time, you have a lot of tissue repair and growth that naturally goes on. And by having a high amount of protein in the diet, you provide the amino acids for this to occur. Uh, something else that you can do is, particularly if you're an athlete and, and uh, you're trying to maintain uh, you know, body mass and strength, more uh, muscle mass and strength, uh, you want to uh, limit the amount of muscle tissue breakdown during the night. And we know now that if you take a high protein supplement right before going to bed, so it doesn't have to be all protein. It can be, you know, 80% protein, 20% carbohydrate, something like that. Uh, something, uh, a Greek yogurt would, would be a good example, or some turkey breast and a little milk. <clears throat> but going to uh, before about 30 minutes before going to bed we know that what this does is prevent the body from going into a large catabolic state during the late <clears throat> late hours or early morning hours and it actually you stimulate a positive nitrogen balance in the body you stimulate a, a um, uh, muscle protein synthesis during sleep rather than protein breakdown and uh, this has uh, beneficial effects on maintaining muscle mass and strength uh, for the athlete. So you know, what, what we eat and when we eat it uh, become very important and for everyone, whether it's athlete or just the general public, they really need three good meals a day. They can't skip breakfast, even if it's just something small and quick. You've got to break that fast and you've got to get cortisol levels down. And um, so High carbohydrates in the morning, pretty uh, high carbohydrate for lunch, uh, or at least moderate carbohydrate, then low carbohydrate, high protein, fat at supper time. Okay, so let's talk about some of the mistakes people made and or make. And you, you've already touched on one of them, being that there's a lot of people that are under the impression that in order to encourage fat metabolism, they want to get their workout in before they take in any food in the morning. And I've seen, you know, I, I work with a lot of housewives, too, that their M.O. is they they get to bed late, they wake up early, they go to the gym, they get the workout, then they really restrict their carbohydrate intake because they think carbs make them fat, and then they get into the midday before they actually have a meal of any value, and they get into this, this whole uh, spiraling effect of lethargy they you know they get headachey 
they get cranky, and you know we I I do resting metabolic assessments here, and you know aside from VO2 testing, but I find that they're they're when I do a resting metabolic assessment on them, their bodies are just in havoc. They're, it seems like their 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 metabolism's really jacked up, and the first thing that happens when we start changing their timing and nutrient intake and cause them to take carbs in the morning, that it changes their metabolism. That seems to be like number one kind of a problem that I see commonly. But I, what I want to talk about, what, what I think is fascinating to get your opinion on, is these guys that are so vicious about taking in all this protein through the course of the day, pre-workout, post-workout, and essentially trying to stave away from carbohydrate. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that's a real mistake. Uh, two things. One is that <clears throat> you know the quality of workout is very, very important. And when people go into the workout and they go in fasted, they have a much harder time getting through the workout than if they've had some carbohydrate that can support the workout and uh, make it uh, mentally and physically easier. Uh, they're going to get more out of the workout. The other is that all these studies, are, are all these um, programs out there for athletes where they go in and they try to exercise in the fastest state and improve their fat burning capability and so forth and they think that that's going to improve performance. There has not been one study that shows performance is improved under this type of training and in fact most studies show that it hurts performance and there was even one study where they showed a couple actually a couple of studies that have shown that when individuals uh, train their body to utilize fat, uh, you know, to more efficiently, uh, what happens is they lose the ability to utilize carbohydrates efficiently, and therefore they can't work at high intensities of exercise because you can't burn fat fast enough at very high intensities of exercise uh, to maintain the energy required for that exercise. So you have to be burning carbohydrates, and when you limit the ability to burn carbohydrates, then you limit the ability to work at high intensities of exercise. So I think it's a real mistake, and it's much harder to train under those conditions. So if it's not improving performance, why bother to do it? Uh, that's from an athletic standpoint. Uh, now, as, as far as... Um, uh, I forgot what the next question was. I'm sorry. Well, I, I just had to get that in. Because no, I just, I, you know, I'm so glad you did because that's been a bone of contention for me. And I've actually spoke with a, a bunch of these athletes that have seen where, and I'm sure you're familiar with this FASTER study uh, that, yeah. was, that was conducted. And these guys are banging this drum about becoming fat adapted by uh, doing all this craziness where they're restricting their carbohydrate intake and doing really aggressive long-term exercises to try to force their body to shift to fat metabolism. But as you suggested, it's clearly a problem in a, an aspect of performance. I mean, if you get over your lactate threshold, you're going to be looking for sugar and there's not going to be anybody home. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Exactly. And it's not, you know, and actually what was really interesting about a couple of studies that came out in Australia is that individuals <laughs> had uh, re their muscle glycogen stores were reduced in the muscle. Uh, but there was some there. But even when they took them to high-intensity exercise or tried to take them to high-intensity exercise, they were un, uh, incapable of breaking down that glycogen and using it as a fuel store. And so they couldn't exercise at high-intensity exercise. So, you know, I, I just don't understand where all this is coming from, you know, because there is no data to support an improvement in performance with this type of training and diet. And there, I, I can cite eight or nine studies out of Australia uh, where mo a lot of this work has been done by John Holly, and John will even say, you know, hey, look, there's no beneficial effect from a performance standpoint. I, I think there's been a lot of it going on with ultramarathoners, and you know how that works is that, you know, you look at most ultramarathoners, even the ones that are competitive, they're rolling along at about a 10-minute mile, and they've become pretty efficient at, you know, chumming along and accessing their fat stores at that rate of speed. And so that's that that's one thing that might lend people to believe that there's, you know, this holy grail. But, you know, and I'm referring to obstacle racing where an example being that guys that are trying to compete 
in a uh, a beast event where it's a 13-mile event with a, a lot of high-intensity efforts over terrain, high altitudes, undulating, you know, hill climbing and, and all these obstacles tossed into the fray. they got to go off hard and stay hard for the entire length of that event. And I just don't understand how anybody could possibly think that by restricting carbohydrate intake, they're going to put themselves in a beneficial position. No, uh, they actually won't. And uh, so, I, yeah, I, I, I don't think that that is beneficial at all uh, to even think about training that training that way. You know, and it, you know, it doesn't. It's all right. You can do some mixing. You know, it's all right to get up in the morning and and if you want to work out. Uh, you know, in a fasted state and try to increase fat burning and so forth, that's fine. But post-exercise, you still want to get in carbohydrate, protein, uh, and stimulate that anabolic phase uh, for training adaptation. Uh, and then also uh, maybe work out later on and get a quality workout in if you're doing two days with uh, carbohydrate supplementation. So, you know, a combination may not be bad. Uh, but surely just going low-carb all the time and training in a fasted state is not going to be beneficial. One, you're not going to be able to train as intensely, and two, you're going to lose your ability to work at high intensities of exercise. Well, I think a lot of it's got to do with the fact that people have this this, uh, opinion that by restricting their carbohydrate intake, that they're causing their body just typically to access fat stores, and that's why they seem to be leaner for for having done it. Right. And and what they don't realize is that really, at the end of the day, when you move that carbohydrate out of your body, you're moving a lot of water out. And that water weight loss can cause you to look look a little dehydrated, a little sucked up. And, you know, that is appealing for a lot of people to say, well, I can see my abs when I do this, or I feel puffy when I have bread. Uh, Yeah, right. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with... Uh, having some hydration that surrounds these muscles, do you? Oh, no, not at all. I think one of the things that happens, too, is that by cutting out carbohydrates, uh, what these individuals actually do also is cut a lot of calories. So you see drops in body fat and so forth, but it's not necessarily to burning more fat. Uh, I think, obviously, you are relying possibly more on fat, but uh, the other thing that you're doing is reducing the number of calories you're taking in per day. You think about, you know, individuals that cut out all the carbohydrate uh, to get sufficient calories and, you know, can be hard to do and plus it cuts out an awful lot of snacking that athletes tend to do. The short story is that early to bed, early to rise, get your carbs in, keep the carbs in while you're working out through the course of the day. Start throwing protein back in the evenings when your body is in a better position to become more anabolic and start to repair some of the damage you caused through the course of the day and to also keep you from being catabolic through their sleep time, right? Right. That's exactly right. And one other thing I think post-exercise is critically important that you get protein carbohydrate in at that particular time. Uh, because that will really stimulate, take off the the anabolics, kick off the anabolic phase, and then you can keep that going uh, by timing your meals appropriately. So, for example, if I uh, get up in the morning, I, I'm going to work out in the morning, I have a light breakfast uh, to break the fast, uh, maybe 35 minutes or uh, hour later I do my workout, immediately post-exercise, I want a carb-protein supplement. And then maybe a couple of hours after that, I'm going to have lunch. And then a couple of hours after that, I'll snack. And then a couple of hours after that, I'll have supper. And then before going to bed, I'll have a high-protein snack. So the timing of those those meals around the workout become important. So I can work out in the afternoon. I get in the morning. I have a nice breakfast. I uh, have a good lunch. I maybe have a light snack before uh, the workout, uh, and then I have my workout post-exercise. I have my carb protein supplement, and then maybe two hours after that, I have dinner, and then before going to bed, I have a snack. So I can I can work, I can have a continued uh, increase in nutrient intake by supplementing and 
uh, around my workout and then having my and uh, working that in with my my basic three meals a day. So now I know you guys had a lot of the uh, elite pros come into the lab and done some metabolic testing on them. Did you experiment with them in respect to cause and effect of them taking on the Big Elite product uh, relative to workouts and things like that? Well, we haven't done it with uh, the, the the major athletes that have come in. What we've done is, you know, get trained uh, cyclists and triathletes, uh, uh, some resistance extra, uh, some re- uh, guys doing resistance exercise, and we've we've looked at the effects of beat elite uh, relative to that. And so, uh, recently we've been doing a study looking at. Uh, we haven't completed it yet, but we've been looking at. Uh, doing high resistance exercise using a biodex or isokinetic dynamometer and taking them through a hard workout uh, that uh, with uh, doing leg extension and so we fatigue these guys and then we look at the rate of increase in strength in the leg or the uh, recovery of strength in the leg and force development and what we find is that we get a faster rate of recovery uh, when the individuals are on the beat elite and then we with some uh, cycling work uh, actually done by Craig Broder uh, who's an exercise physiologist up in Chicago but he's working in collaboration with my lab and uh, he's been showing some really dramatic effects taking beat elite prior to doing high-intensity interval work on cycling. And so these individuals will uh, do a high-intensity cycling for uh, a minute, and then they'll do low-intensity for three minutes and so forth. And they have to do uh, so many intervals. And what we find is that when the individual is on beat elite, (laughs) they're able to maintain the workload throughout, say, 10 intervals versus when they're not on the beat elite, they can only get to seven. Also see many metabolic changes that occur, so, uh, and, and physiological changes, so heart rate goes up without the beat elite, it stays level when you're on the beat elite. Uh, pedal frequency declines uh, when you're not on the beat elite, where pedal frequency is maintained uh, when you're on the beat elite. Um, there's uh, differences in rates of breathing. There's uh, and then blood flow through the muscle is better on beat elite than it is uh, when they're not on beat elite. There's better oxygenation of the tissue. Uh, so there's just a, a number of metabolic effects that help to uh, bring about a much greater uh, ability to exercise at high intensity exercise uh, when on the beat elite. Wow. Now, I know that you, this this stuff's packaged up, uh, at least what I've gotten is in a box. You've got a dose in a, in a little packet, and you dump that in the water and shake it up and drink it down. Now, there's nothing that speaks of uh, dose relative to mass. I mean, me being a bigger guy, would it be better for me to take two? Or is, it, is there any issue uh, would leave me wanting if I don't take enough? No, not really. Uh you know, it, we have sufficient amounts of, uh, of uh, nitrate and plus the way it's made uh, that, uh, you, you know, you're not going to <clears throat> uh, have to have more than somebody that's, uh, you know, weighs 125 pounds. Uh, so if you weigh if you weigh 300, you know, a pack is still going to be good. You know, what what happens is is that you take the nitrate in, and the nitrate uh, is converted into nitrite, and then nitrite into nitric oxide. But that process doesn't occur re- readily. Uh, what you do is you have, <coughs> it, well, it will occur right away, I should say. But what happens is that you reach an equilibrium of, nitrate to nitrite to nitric oxide. So that reaches sort of equilibrium in the body. So nitrate, nitric oxide levels go up a little bit. But when you start exercising, then it shifts everything so that you generate more nitric oxide. And that's because of changes in the uh, 
uh, reduced hemoglobin in the body and also the acidity of the, the body. So in areas where you have more um, uh, reduced hemoglobin, which is hemoglobin without oxygen attached to it, and where you you're more where the tissue is more acidic, that reaction occurs much faster and goes in the direction of generating nitric oxide. And that's what's so good about this system is that it uh, converts nitric oxide it converts nitrate into nitric oxide where it's needed and at a rate that is commensural with the intensity of the exercise. So uh, you know, you don't need a whole, very high levels of nitrate for this to to occur, but our system set up so that, that reaction occurs very very effectively. Uh, the other thing is is that there's another way of generating nitric oxide in the body, and that's through the nitric oxide synthase system. And nitric oxide synthase is an enzyme that's found in the endothelial walls are the endothelial cells that line the walls of the arteries. And so when there's, when blood pressure rises and there's an increased shear stress against the endothelial walls, such as during exercise, you get an increase in nitric oxide synthesis because you activate the nitric oxide synthase. And the way that process works is you got arginine that's converted into L-citrulline and nitric oxide. And this is, this is good uh, for low-intensity exercise and all, except this process requires oxygen. And so when oxygen tension goes down, or when we have a lot of reduced hemoglobin and not oxygenated hemoglobin, this system is not very effective. But what does become effective is the nitrate to nitric oxide production. Uh, which that's how B-delete works, is through converting nitrate to nitrite to nitric oxide. So this becomes the most effective way of improving blood flow and oxygen and nutrient delivery to the muscles uh, and also the removal of metabolic byproducts is by raising the nitrate levels because uh, in high-intensity exercise, the nitric oxide synthase system is not very effective because of the lack of oxygen that's required for that uh, process to occur. Uh, the other thing is there's a lot of products on the market that that add arginine to uh, their products and say they're nitric oxide boosters, but uh, this actually doesn't work. Uh, the main, one of the main reasons is that your body's not deficient of arginine. <laughs> you have more than 10 times the amount of arginine normally in the blood than required to saturate the nitric oxide synthase system. So just adding more doesn't make any difference. It's like having a bucket full of water and trying to add more water to it. It just doesn't work. <laughs> and so those those types of products are not very effective in generating nitric oxide, uh, particularly during exercise. So again, you know, you need oxygen for that system. And during high-intensity exercise, like resistance exercise training or, or sprinting or, uh, you know, during high-intensity interval work and so forth, it's not a very effective. You have reduced oxygen in the blood, and so it's at the tissue that needs the nitric oxide. It's not a very effective system for generating it. Right. I have a workout that I created, and I refer to it as training the dark side. And I actually created this workout for these obstacle racers because for the past, uh, I don't know, geez, 15 years or so, I've been writing program for endurance athletes, predominantly triathletes and marathon runners. And, you know, they're always doing things to try to improve their endurance and their ability to sustain work over great lengths of time, which means they've got to be oxidative. But the high-intensity workouts that these obstacle races are taking on require their ability to support work above their lactate threshold. So I call training the dark side the work you do above threshold. And right. what I have them doing is these high-intensity, short-duration intervals where, for example, uh, I actually have a video I, I should share with you one day where I have Hunter doing these thrusters, you know, an exercise where he's doing like a squat to an overhead press with dumbbells, and he does that for 30 seconds, then I have him run up a steep, craggy hillside, 
so it's uh-huh. technically challenging, and, but it's short. It's got to go up hard, fast, 30 seconds, jog down, and I require that he lets his heart rate come all the way back down to 120 beats per minute before he produces another interval. And so the governor in all of this is the recovery heart rate, but ex- exposing him to this high rate of lactic acid production and giving his body a chance to find a way to shuttle it out of the muscles and you know, do its thing, whether you respirate it out or, or convert it back to energy, but get accustomed to solving the problem as opposed to just being taken out by this ensuing lactic acid production. And so what he, as a matter of fact, it's it's almost perfect. The other day he came to see me and we were getting ready to do this workout, which incidentally is only about a 45-minute workout. But he throws down this beetle and washes it down with water, and we proceed to do this work. You know, lo and behold, here he is uh, the following week. He, he wins a race in New York. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, I tell you, um, it, you know, it, it parallels what Craig Broder's data is showing with high-intensity cycling, you know, cycling intervals and all, and that these guys, they're on the B-Elite. They, they can work more efficiently. Uh, they can work longer. They, they don't tire. And they're working at, uh, you know, about 20% above their lactate threshold on, on these, these intervals. And, uh, <laughs> they, it, it's, the data is just astounding. I wish I could share with you all the, all the information that Craig has with this, but it's, it's just the difference between night and day being on the beat elite and not being on the beat elite with these guys. It's just, it's just incredible. In fact, the first time I saw the data, uh, you know, I was just blown away by it. And we're setting up to uh, do some more of this testing in Austin uh, in the starting in September, we hope, um, and continue on with uh, uh, looking at some of the other metabolic uh, effects that it's having and physiological effects that are improving performance so dramatically. Yeah, well, it never occurred to me there was a value in putting the two together because, you know, every time I turn around, somebody's showing up with a new supplement that they want to share with me uh, or a new fangled technique that they ran into or this new device that they're playing with. And so I always like uh, very, very reluctantly look at these things. But I started messing around with this Beetleet, and I'm I'm taking it right now. I I had Yancey Culp sent me some of it, and uh, I'm playing with it because – you know, as I suggested earlier, I, I need every edge I can get because I'm getting old and it's getting tougher and tougher and tougher, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Wait till you get to my age, do you? Well, I think I'm, uh, by the way, let me tell you, uh, people that are above the age of 45 have, and if they've had a sedentary lifestyle, they are, are only capable of generating 50% of the nitric oxide they could generate when they were at age 20. So they've lost 50% of their nitric oxide capabilities. And and this has dramatic effects, not only in, in exercise performance all, but in health. By re- nitric oxide controls just about every function in the body. I mean, we, we can talk about cognition, uh, interaction of, of nerves, uh, brain cells, uh, communication. Uh, we can, uh, the development of bone mass, uh, controlling the breakdown of bone as well as the formation of bone. Uh, we can talk about controlling glucose uptake in the muscle tissue uh, and it, its relationship to type 2 diabetes. We can talk about tissue repair and regeneration. We can talk about the effects of nitric oxide in the immune system and how it helps to destroy bacteria. I mean, we can go on and on and on about the benefits of nitric oxide and its relationship to health. Hypertension, I mean, we haven't even talked, that's uh, in the cardiovascular system, I mean, nitric oxide causes vasodilation, so the arteries and arterioles, it controls blood pressure. You can take somebody that's hypertensive or prehypertensive, put them on uh, a nitric oxide booster and dramatically improve their blood pressure. Uh, Beat does that. We've actually shown with uh, pre-hypertensive individuals that giving them a pack of Beat a day for 30 days uh, normalizes their blood pressure. Uh, and so, I mean, we can just go on and on and on. So 
individuals that are, you know, getting into middle age and older age really need to consider taking nitric oxide boosters. And so they can take something like Beta Lead or Neogenis actually generates and produces another product called Neo40, which is more therapeutic and uh, used by medical professions for hypertensive and other diseases. And, and so they could, they could take that. But individuals that are older should consider taking some type of nitric oxide booster. Okay, so you got me thinking. Now, how old are you? I'm 69. Oh, you know, you, you win because I you, <laughs> usually usually when I have this conversation, I'm older than everybody. You know. Uh, <laughs> okay, so how old are you? I'm going to be you. I'm going to be 63 this year. Oh, okay, all right. So I'm older than you thought. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You are. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. we've seen a lot of changes in the exercise field in our years. I'll yes, tell you that. <laughs> yes, we have. Yes, we have. And, and, and sometimes it's funny how things cycle back. You know, stuff that was being done in the early seventies are now being rediscovered and stuff like that. Oh, I know. It's all cyclical. <laughs> yeah, right. It really is. It's all cyclical. And uh, you, as you suggested, I believe I've seen just about everything. And. And every time somebody comes up with something that they regurgitate from the past, and I'm like, oh, God, are we going to do that again? I mean, come on. Yeah, right. <laughs> did, we, did we not learn anything the last time? Right. <laughs> you know? Well, Doc, I, I know that you've got to get off to a meeting, and I promised I'd get you off early enough so that you could do that. But I really enjoyed the conversation. It was very enlightening. I am going to try to find a way to get more of this product in my system. Because, as I suggested, I'm getting older, and I, I need every every ounce of the benefit I can get. Right. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I'm looking forward. To, I, I want to keep in touch with you. I want to, I'm looking forward to seeing some of the research you guys come up with. I, I wanted to do this show because I know a lot of people that are using this product, and I know a lot of people that are wondering why. And I think it's uh, I think it was good to do and knowing that there's no there's no ties between us you're not I'm not doing this with you because I'm getting paid to do it I'm doing it because I was fascinated by it and I, you know I have a a thirst for information and respect exercise physiology and the benefits associated with proper nutrients uh so I I did this out of love well uh Richard it's a pleasure doing it and I'll be happy to do it anytime again that you that you would like so i i will because I, I know i'm going to get some heat from the people that are into this fat adapted thing we might have to we might have to battle them together all right sounds good <laughs> listen enjoy the rest of your day and thank you so much for coming on the show with me doc uh thanks a lot Richard. Bet. i okay. appreciate it yeah take care well friends it's time to bring another show to a close be sure and tune in to us next week we've got a lot of great content in store for you i want you to tell your friends to check us out you can always find us on Facebook. Simply go search the Natural Running Network. Drop us a message. I'd love to learn more about you and the things you do. And until then, you have an amazing day. <laughs>